Hello and welcome to another episode of 10x Hacks for Startup and Venture Success. This is your host Vida Patil and today I'm extremely excited to introduce Nitin Vaish. He is from a very unique uh, space that is uh, climate tech and energy tech and I've never had uh, uh, a guest in this domain uh, on the podcast and now more than ever, we need uh, uh, words of wisdom from domain experts in climate tech. So uh, Nitin brings a wealth of experience. He's from IIT uh, Bombay and uh, he's an MBA from MIT Sloan. Apart that, he's been in uh, multiple leadership ro- roles at GE and uh, uh, SunPower, Cleanies, and uh, he's been in advisory roles also works for a family-owned venture firm. Uh, I met him at the MIT uh, uh, Club of Northern California as well as uh, the uh, R42 Venture Firm Interactions. He's quite active there and in a host of uh, uh, ecosystems in the innovation landscape here in Silicon Valley. So uh, welcome, Nitin. Thank you. Thank you, Vida. Glad, Glad to be here and thank you for inviting me. Awesome. So uh, let's get started with, you know, the first question here. Uh, Nitin, you're in a very exciting space here. I don't come across many people working in uh, climate tech or energy tech. And uh, what uh, what drove you to uh, choose this uh, domain? And uh, how did you grow to be an advisor here and an uh, investor? Yeah, so maybe just uh, it, it might be good to uh, rewind the tape on my personal career, mm-hmm. maybe like going back a uh, uh, couple of decades or so. Uh, so as you said in the intro, I'm engineer by training. And after graduate school, I joined GE. And uh, uh, very quickly, uh, I was thrown in into a situation around uh, starting a brand new business in the behemoth, which is GE, uh, from scratch. So that that was my first foray into understanding uh, what happens uh, with the geniuses in the lab around innovation, mm-hmm. and uh, and equally importantly, how to bring those ideas uh, to products, build a business, build a team, uh, all what is required to have a viable business. Uh, so that that experience over the course of roughly five years uh, had a number of lessons. But uh, one of them was, so in this case, uh, the market we were going after was uh, uh, display applications mm-hmm. uh, with very highly engineered products to improve the efficiency of displays, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's your cell phone, your flat screen TV, uh, or laptops. Mm-hmm. Uh, so beyond just the core technology, the, the unique uh, customer benefits around uh, higher efficiency and a better quality working. So in a way, that was my foray into understanding the impact of products and energy efficiency. Uh, and uh, after that, I went to business school at MIT Sloan. Mm-hmm. And uh, that is where uh, MIT Sloan back in 2006, seven timeframe right. was, and I think is still the hot hotbed of uh, energy innovation. Uh, primarily, which was a ground up movement from students. Uh, including running the premier energy conference. So uh, back on campus, I got much more involved around the research, the innovation around energy ecosystem. 
And uh, after graduation is where my career in more mainstream renewables has been, mm -hmm. which included, as you said earlier, uh, uh, being at uh, Selenis, mm -hmm. working on building the business around energy storage for electric vehicles, mm -hmm. uh, and then moving to the Bay Area with SunPower, focusing on products and strategy and both solar and storage, and uh, subsequently spending time around fuel cell business. And currently, I'm an advisor to a family office, which oh. invests uh, uh, in, in, these, uh, uh, in these sectors. Uh, okay. So by virtue of that, uh, I, I work with a number of entrepreneurs, companies, both early stage by being on the advisory board, uh, and also uh, because of... Uh, relationship with the family office uh, looking at uh, growth stage companies. Uh, so that has been my journey. And uh, one thing I would want to leave with is uh, I've seen Clean Tech 1.0 uh, movie, which is almost 10, 12 years back. Mm -hmm. And uh, there have been uh, some of those things which are happening now might have been before time during, uh, during 2006 time frame. Mm -hmm. But the reality is the pace of technology improvement across a number of these things, we can talk about them, mm -hmm. uh, uh, has, has leapfrogged where things were a decade back. Mm -hmm. And then secondly, and more importantly, the, the times we are living in right now, mm -hmm. uh, it could not be a better time both to be aware of the problem of climate change mm -hmm. and, and having solutions around making a dent to that problem. So that is something we can also go deeper into, but hopefully that that gives you a flavor of where I'm coming from, and in my current engagements. Awesome. So uh, you you have a pretty holistic experience here, uh, uh, spawning a business from start in within GE, and now you're uh, in the venture landscape where you are advising startups. So you're kind of uh, in a, a mentoring role where you're overseeing uh, innovation uh, uh, ventures in this landscape. So. You know, I always want to ask this uh, question uh, during these uh, times, pandemic times, how has COVID impacted, uh, accelerated, or, uh, you know, slowed down your field, the climate tech field? Well, what is happening right now there? Well, so uh, uh, COVID, uh, again, I think the times you're living in right now because of COVID uh, are, uh, are pretty dire, uh, just from pandemic standpoint. Mm -hmm. And no matter where one is, no matter what one does, mm -hmm. uh, he or she is impacted mm -hmm. uh, one way or the other. Mm -hmm. uh, I think with that backdrop, which is dire, uh, from my standpoint, there are at least a couple of positive signs mm -hmm. uh, which, which, are, which are coming out. Mm -hmm. uh, one, is, uh, one is generally, and by broad majority, there is a there is a belief uh, in science mm -hmm. uh, and, in, and in what what scientists have to say, whether it's around pandemic, but equally more importantly, around what scientists in the community is, uh, is talking about climate change uh, and the potential impact of uh, climate change. Uh, to put that in perspective, uh, and then actually, let me just make it one more point first. Mm -hmm. uh, but the second thing actually is, uh, uh, in this backdrop, people, uh, companies, large and small, there is a renewed focus around not just believing in science, but also being part of the solution. 
uh, and then doing something to mitigate that. Right. And let me just put that in perspective so, so that it becomes somewhat more concrete. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether one is living in Los Angeles uh, or in Delhi or in Beijing, uh, I think everybody realized the benefits of clean air back in uh, April timeframe when yes. essentially globally uh, mm-hmm. people were not driving as much as they used to. Yeah. Uh, they were not flying as much as they used to. Yeah. Uh, the best estimates I've seen is um, the uh, the CO2 emission was about 8% wow. uh, during, during that cleanest of times. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, currently, uh, if you're looking at what scientists are saying, right. to have any, any realistic shot mm-hmm. of having the global temperature rise of less than 2 degrees centigrade by 2100, mm-hmm. uh, what needs to happen is let's say amount of activity drop in terms of travel and CO2 emission yeah. has to happen every year for next 10 years. Gosh. So, mm-hmm. so a COVID-like situation which resulted into 8% drop in uh, uh, CO2 emission, that type of an event happening every year for next 10 years. Uh, that is that is the scenario wherein we will have some some realistic chance of of having a temperature rise which is sub degree centigrade. Now, the point is nobody uh, on the planet in the wise mind would want that's never like COVID happening every year uh, to to get that improvement. What that means is we need technology, we need innovation across uh, the society, whether it's around transportation, agriculture, industry, to reduce the intensity of carbon emission so that uh, as a planet, as individuals, uh, we, have, uh, we have a short of living on a planet which is, uh, which is worthy of living. This is a, a truly a, a great insight, a tremendously impactful insight. It's uh, not only a good pitch to open the podcast, but I think it's a wake-up call. Uh, who in the right mind would think of an economic reset as a way to uh, uh, this COVID is an economic reset and uh, that's what caused uh, the right uh, metrics to come up in terms of climate change. It's, uh, it's definitely not possible, but uh, you're saying a lot of technology innovation, uh, a collective technology innovation across the society is going to uh, accelerate this. So can we uh, slightly get into that? Uh, if, if, if you can uh, get into the various aspects of uh, innovation as a cohort happening in the society. Uh, what does it look like if, if you go sector-wise? What is it going to look like? Yeah, uh, happy to, and uh, happy to provide more color and uh, at least a layer or two of depth uh, on this topic. Mm-hmm. So, if, if you just frame the discussion up, right uh, today, globally, uh, we emit about 35 gigatons of CO2. Right. Uh, and if you look at other uh, gases which have uh, uh, climate impact, uh, CO2 equivalent globally is about 50 gigatons. Right. Uh, of that, uh, roughly uh, 25% comes from agriculture. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, ag is a big contributor towards, uh, towards uh, greenhouse gas emissions. You uh, say, sorry to interrupt. Agriculture, that seems like a green, uh, a very clean energy, green venture. What would cause 
CO2 emission with agriculture. It's it's about greenery. It's about plants, right? I mean, you're 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 cultivating plants. I I did not understand. Very counterintuitive, Vidhan, and I'm glad you asked that. Right. So if if you look at if you look at the food ecosystem broadly, right? Right. Uh, I'll give you a couple of examples. Uh, mm-hmm. All of us have seen the benefit of green revolution. Yes. Uh, because of fertilizers uh, going back to 1960s, 70s time frame. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, the the key building block of fertilizers, uh, which are nitrogen rich, is ammonia. Right. And uh, ammonia by far is one of the most energy intensive commodities to produce globally. Oh. Uh, uh, so that's that's one example. The, the energy intensity to make uh, fertilizers uh, primarily because of ammonia route. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's it's a very high in a high in terms of energy intensity. Right. And uh, typically to make uh, to make ammonia, uh, we have to we have to produce hydrogen. Mm-hmm. And uh, to produce hydrogen, it's typically uh, steam methane reforming. So. Mm-hmm. Essentially, we are uh, we are using natural gas mm-hmm. as a starting point mm-hmm. to make hydrogen, mm-hmm. and then hydrogen to convert that to ammonia, uh, which goes into fertilizers. So, if you trace uh, the the value chain of uh, the fertilizers, we are going back to natural gas as right. a starting point, right. uh, which which is one of one one of the key reasons for uh, uh, for high energy intensity and carbon emissions in this process step. So, oh. uh, the follow-up question yep. there is: uh, Will will your climate tech or energy tech ventures, uh, you know, be qualified to handle this, or do uh, innovations in this uh, reducing this kind of carbon footprint do they fall under the climate tech or energy tech sector? Is the is the absolutely, t- absolutely. Oh. Okay. I yeah, see. and uh, uh, absolutely, and then there are there is uh, there are innovations happening across the entire uh, food ecosystem. Uh, in the example I gave earlier, there are uh, quite a few entrepreneurs, uh, startups, and even large companies now uh, who are looking at ways to to manufacture hydrogen yeah. by not going with a steam methane reforming route. Right. And, and and the beauty is uh, the times we live in right now compared to, say, uh, 10, 12 years back, uh, the cost of renewable energy has come down so, uh, so low right. that... Uh, Using uh, renewable energy and using water as a starting point and right. spreading water uh, right. with energy to, to manufacture hydrogen. Right. It's much more greener than uh, going to a natural gas route uh, to make, make hydrogen. So, so that, is, that is one example. Right. Uh, the second example in that way is, I mean, people don't realize this, uh, roughly a third uh, to almost 40% of the food uh, gets wasted. Yes, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and that that food food gets wasted because it has not been preserved. Uh, it does not look good, uh, or uh, or just uh, people people don't uh, like the touch, the feel of of the produce uh, they're having. Oh. And uh, uh, there are prominent scientists in a in a project called the Project Drawdown. Uh, and if your listeners have not come across uh, this work, uh, I would highly encourage them to to look at. Uh, it's and a list of drawdown. Project drawdown. Okay. It's a list of uh, hundred ideas, uh, rank ordered, 
by which they can have the material impact on uh, on greenhouse uh, greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, number one on that list is reducing food wastage. Wow. And because the amount of food which gets wasted essentially uh, from end to end, it's the number one contributor to greenhouse gas emissions. So yeah. there are companies now mm-hmm. who, are, who are working on extending the shelf life of produced by using novel uh, materials, technology, uh, novel like even uh, uh, AI and technologies to understand how the quality of the food. Uh, so by making the food last say a week longer uh, is that much more reduction in terms of food wastage and right. hence the greenhouse gas emission. Right. I, I'd like to ask a, a quick question here. Now, uh, the carbon footprint here is wasted in uh, uh, you know, decomposing the uh, food, which is of lower quality, or is it uh, you're mapping it to the amount of energy spent in, re- uh, uh, you know, producing the food? Where is the energy wasted, actually? This is end-to-end. Uh, end-to-end, uh, end-to-end uh, carbon impact of, of making that, uh, that produce. And so the example okay. we gave earlier, right? Sorry. Right. Yeah. And what is a good tool to track this? What is the tool to measure the carbon footprint? Do you have any recommendations? Yeah. So I think uh, 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 tools, uh, frameworks like uh, which, which are there in um, Project Drawdown uh, are a good starting point okay. uh, uh, for, for uh, uh, community members to look at. Right. But, but then there are uh, there are a number of uh, scientists uh, and organizations, even uh, organizations like uh, Good Food Institute, uh, they have uh, mm-hmm. they have uh, uh, very many tools, metrics around what is the resource impact of producing a piece of apple, for example, or producing a pound of beef, and whether it could be whether it is around CO2 emission, water consumption, land use, you name it. So there are a number of these tools which are available. Uh, I mentioned a couple of them, but uh, uh, by no means they are the only ones. But they are they are a good starting point. Awesome. So, uh, so 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 far we talked about uh, uh, you know uh, the the agriculture and its carbon footprint. You were uh, going to touch upon other aspects of uh, uh, the climate tech as a landscape or energy tech as a landscape. Uh, do you want to uh, touch upon other aspects as well? Yeah, let me let me uh, uh, at least briefly touch upon a couple because uh, I think uh, each of those aspects by itself is a is a topic on its own. Right. Uh, but I just want to frame the discussion. Right. So uh, as I said earlier, 25% of the uh, greenhouse gas emissions was because of agriculture. Uh, the close uh, second is uh, energy generation. Right. So. Uh, so about 25% uh, uh, similar to agriculture, and this is a space uh, I think we have seen a big we have seen a big progress uh, over the past decade. Uh, so, so put that in perspective, right? Yeah. Uh, Ten years back, the primary source of energy uh, generation uh, in the U.S. was coal and natural gas. Yes. Uh, and and then the mix varies uh, depending on which country you're looking at. Yeah. Uh, so in the U.S., it's largely natural gas or coal. Ten years back, in countries like China or India, it's primarily coal. Uh, countries in Europe, uh, it's a mix. Uh, so 
if you wind the clock forward now, uh, because of all the improvements we have seen with uh, renewable technologies, uh, primarily solar and wind. Uh, we are sitting uh, uh, at the time today wherein the cost of even just running a coal plant right. is higher higher than installing and starting a brand new solar plant. Uh, okay. Let me just repeat that one more time. Sure. Mm-hmm. The cost of just running the coal plant mm-hmm. is higher than the cost of starting a, a greenfield solar plant. There is just economically and rationally uh, uh, using fossil fuels, whether it's coal or natural gas. Uh, we are at a point in many countries and in next five years, in many more countries, wherein uh, just the sheer economics will drive the fossil fuel uh, out of uh, out of the mix to generate energy. Uh, so uh, I think we have seen a, a big progress there. And as a result, if you look at the installed base of both solar and wind globally, uh, we, we are talking about numbers going from single digit gigawatts 10 years back to hundreds of gigawatts globally. And, uh, and, and the pace is just ramping up. This is end of podcast part one with Nitin Vash on climate and energy tech. Stay tuned for part two. Thank you for listening to the podcast 10x Hacks for Startup and Venture Success. This is your host, Vida Patel. I'm bringing you interviews of investors and founders from Silicon Valley and across the globe. This podcast takes a lot of time and effort, so please support this by uh, liking and sharing this post and signing up to, and subscribing to my podcast and my LinkedIn page on 10x Hacks. Thank you very much.